You are now listening to the Deweyest Podcast. Thank you for joining me, y'all. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of The Dewiest. I have two amazing women here with me today that are going to be sharing everything and all that they know about the period organization and really just how we all can learn more about being more supportive towards menstruators and how we can all address period poverty. I have Nikki Dawkins with me today and Bree Reddick. Hi, everyone. My name is Nikki Dawkins, and I'm the National Community Manager at Period Movement. Hi, everyone. My name is Bree Reddick. I am the editor for um, The RAG, which is a blog put on by Period. I'm also a PhD student studying feminist studies at University of California, Santa Barbara. I'm also a yoga instructor in training. Oh, all right. <laughs> we love that. That's fun. Like, what made you decide to do that? I actually received a scholarship. Um, oh, we love that even more. Yeah, they were doing, like, they are looking for more BIPOC uh, people to enter yoga, and so I applied for it, and now I'm in yoga training, which I'm really excited because I think I've always wanted to do it it's just that the financial barrier was always just so present i love that for you so much i'm so happy that you're able to do that and that was offered to you can you each of you just tell us a little bit how you got started at period and like what made you decide to go with this organization so um in addition to my role at period i'm also a reproductive health doula um okay. so i have been doing that for the past i guess almost six years now so that's kind of how i started in the space um, that's wonderful I started as just a vaginal steaming practitioner um, and then I got my credentials from there and in the process of that I decided to start a period Miami chapter um, and that's kind of how I got my foot in with period I started the chapter I ran it for I mean I'm still running it but I ran it for maybe three years or two years and then I was invited to join the national team and here I am today I'm very passionate about the project and um, period poverty menstrual equity do a lot of advocacy work um, and it's really fun I, I enjoy just being a part of this space in general. Just reproductive health is just my niche and I love it. Periods to menopause, I'm here for it. Babies, everything in between. I love that so much. I think it's so important to have people in our community that are advocating for us. So I'm so glad that you're doing that. So I got started with period after there were some like concerns about what period, what the menstrual movement was going to look like and like what faces were going to be represented. And so I offered, you know, to be involved in the conversation that period was um, looking to have and then I was I am a writer and so uh, we were just talking about ways that I could do my work with and like how that could intersect with their work and so at first looked like me um, redoing the website and like changing some of the language so that it could be like more encompassing to the mission that period was trying to produce and then I became then we relaunched the blog for period and that is really a space where we want people who feel like they don't always have a really prominent voice in the menstrual movement to talk about their grievances, make calls to actions, but also just like have a space where they feel like their voices are heard, which can be like a really fundamental part in movement building, etc. Absolutely. I'm so glad to have both of you here today because when I was just doing like a little bit of research about period organization, I was really excited to see everything that period has done in terms of like what you guys do with the chapters as well as with the blog. And then along with the advocacy around just like how many menstrual products you guys have distributed over the past year, like 5 million plus, like that was really 
really very inspiring to me. And like, I love that there are people who are taking the time to do this work for different communities. For those who are just sort of unaware, what exactly is period poverty? Well, it's kind of, I feel like period poverty can be kind of broad. Generally, it's saying that you are unable to get the products you need when you have a menstrual cycle. I feel like that's the general definition, but I do think it can be much deeper than that. (laughs) Not having supplies in your school, not having supplies in your community, also not having um, a space where you can speak about it, um, I think is part of it as well. To answer your question, the first answer I gave you is generally what period poverty means. It means that you do not have the means or access to supplies that you need during your menstrual cycle. Nikki pretty much covered it. I think that the big misconception about period poverty is that it's something that only happens in like third world or developing countries, but it's like ever present in um, the US and um, different countries in Europe. I think it's much more prominent than we'd like to think. Um, I think we like to imagine period poverty as, you know, um, I don't know, like as someone using like pieces of like old rags, etc., to um, accommodate for their period. But it's like period poverty can be a lot of things. I mean, you can look at prisons, right? And look at the way that absolutely imprisoned menstruators tearing apart like pads in order to like make tampons, right? That's a that's a part of period poverty. It is. Um, and it's it's simply like it's a systemic issue where like menstruators are not given whether you know they're in schools and their homes and incarcerated, they're not given the access to like have the dignity to manage their own bodies. I, f- I feel like I, you really do notice that just from like growing up, always having the machine in the women's restroom, they always have like, you have to pay a quarter or like they don't have anything at all. And then I remember being in school and like going to the nurse's office and like like forcing me to use tampons when I was like, I only use pads. And like, it just, it, there was so much like just lack of access growing up to like menstrual education as well as just like access to period products. Really like, like really pride myself on constantly carrying menstrual products to give out to other people? Like, are there other tips that you guys have to like, you know, sort of just like help things that like people might be experiencing when it comes to period uh, poverty? Um, I think what you're doing is great. It's always good to have extras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love that. But I think in addition to that is really just bringing it to people's attention. Um, I think that's the problem is just the whole stigma of periods and no one wants to talk about it and we're supposed to keep it a secret. But it really is just talking about it. And sometimes that starts with your own friends and family. You don't have to do an Instagram Instagram reel or make it like a big thing. Mm-hmm. You can really just talk to your friends or talk to your family, talk to the people at your school and just bring it up. Hey, why don't we have supplies? You'd be surprised at how many schools that I work with. And they'll, I'll have a student come and say that, hey, we don't have supplies in my school. And then I contact the nurse's office and they're like, oh no, we do have supplies for them here. But they just don't really advertise that they have it. If you don't go and ask the nurse, you will never know. And that, to me, is a problem and why I say you just need to speak up about it. Because if we make people more aware of this, then more people will try and resolve the problem. One of the things I've loved the most about being involved in the menstrual movement is um, I at once had like a couple of period students and they were all kind of just getting their period and just going through like developmentally, like, you know, a lot of things, all the things. They're in middle school. Right. It was a really great experience for me as well, I would hope hopefully was them as well. It was really good for me because it really gave kids 
the space to talk about the things that they're scared to talk about. I think sometimes people think like, who's tell? they ask people like, who's telling you that you can't say this? No one is explicitly telling these kids that they can't talk about their period, but they are recognizing like society around them is quiet about periods. And they see the way that, you know, their mom hides their tampons in her sweater when she walks to the bathroom, right? Like kids pick up on these things. And I think that people also think that like, oh, you know, let kids be kids. Like when I talk to my period students, I recognize kids are already talking about a lot of different things and you are not protecting them from anything. If anything, you are opening them up to like misinformation and then not giving them the opportunity to go to an adult to like ensure what the information that they're getting is true. They would come up to me and be like, oh, I heard this at school. And is it true? And I think for them, it was really great to have someone that wasn't a parental figure, but was an authoritative figure that they could talk to and they knew that they could get good information from. They could talk about the things that they're learning about, like through the grapevine in school, you know? I remember when I was in school, like I would hear about the craziest things. Like I have this very vivid memory of me in um, middle school, like oh, goodness. <laughs> being told about like Blue Waffle, which is like this like egregious like STI that, you know, essentially turned your vulva blue. Right. I'll be completely honest. Like I, I just never thought to go to an adult and like confirm that information. It wasn't, it wasn't until like my junior or my freshman year of college that I was like, oh wow, Blue Waffle's not real. <laughs> I went through this entire phase of my life where I just knew that I couldn't go to an adult to confirm information. And so I went through like all this time having this like fear that sexual encounters will make my vagina blue. Right. right. So I think that like having these period students was really great because for me, it could kind of undo some of the trauma I had, you know, yeah. growing up and not having anyone to talk to. But also I think for these girls, like one, I think it was just like a cool experience to be able to talk about their body in an affirmative way. And then after it, and we didn't just talk about periods, right? Periods is a way to, is an entry point to talk about autonomy, your body, consent, that's right, opening to talk about all of these things. And by the end of it, their parents were telling me like, oh, they told me that, you know, this, these period products are good. And these, they were giving me advice, you know? And so it was going off of Nikki points, like talking, talking about it, but particularly talking to like young people and like young menstruators who are just now encountering their menstrual journey, just kind of like dispelling some of the fear mongering that we kind of place onto these young people when they first encounter their period and kind of dispelling that. I agree entirely because there was so much fear mongering and just so many myths weren't busted until I was an adult. I don't feel ashamed, but I'm just like, why did I believe everything that some 12 year old boy told me right. <laughs> like it just the idea that there's so there's so much there's just such a lack of education around being a menstruator and having your period even consent there's no conversations being had and so I really appreciate that with period you guys are taking the time to have like these period students and to talk to them because I really wish I had that I really wish there were so many other things that I could learn from such a young age that like I know now just sort of like on a global scale would you guys say that in order to really just make menstruation period poverty and advocating for people who menstruate like that the same thing you would say you would say like just really make sure that you're talking to people really make sure that you're just having those what might be seeming uncomfortable but like really important conversations to have yeah I think it's really important to to speak up and not just to other menstruators to people who don't menstruate as well I really think that's like a big failure of our system is the splitting of genders and sex um, education Mm -hmm. it is 
stupid, um, <laughs> you know, because we teach them separately and then, but they go together and then they don't know anything about each other and then yeah. they're completely clueless and then it's just a downhill spin from there. Um, so I think it's really important. And I know in Miami, when I work with my chapter, when we go into the high schools and middle schools, we always ask for both genders to be present. Because, and guess what? The non-menstruators have like the best questions. We really do. <laughs> ask the best questions. So I think also doing that, even like within your house with your period products, get a cute little caddy from the Dollar Tree and make it cute. Like put your pads in there and your tampons. You can mm-hmm. make it a little spray, you know, make it. They, and that way when people come, they can see it and ask about it. Right. You know, my son knows everything about periods. I mean, doing little things like that and involving kids is really important. You don't have to be in middle school or 12, 13. Like you can start talking about this earlier. I think that the difference in the period poverty conversation when we're talking about countries in like the global south, mm-hmm. so countries in Asia, countries in Africa, I think that there's a lot of this, there's this unspoken like expectation for these countries to like perform modernity in a way that the United States countries in the West are not expected to perform. You know, the way that we talk about countries in the global south and menstruation, it's like, like these people are using these dirty rags and basically there's like a blame put on them, like that they're uncivilized right. or that they're savages, etc. And that they don't know, they don't have the means to like properly take care of their period, which is just not true, right? It's like these communities Absolutely. have been taking care of their period for as long as their civilization has been alive. And just because they haven't had access to tampons or, or pads, that doesn't mean that disposable tampons and pads, that doesn't mean that, you know, that they haven't been properly managing their um, period. You know, when we talk internationally about period poverty, I think it's important to be like specific and culturally competent in the communities that you're talking about. There are a lot of other menstrual management tools that are like more culturally prevalent in other communities. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's either like a menstrual cup or period proof panties, right? Like there's a right. lot of different tools that different cultures use in order to manage the period. And so I think that I would just encourage folks, particularly folks from the West, to think mm-hmm. about their own privilege when they're like examining other aspects of period poverty and to not like position this like superior Western complex onto countries in the global South or like international communities. I agree because I feel like it's something that since it's something that we've always had access access to we are so conditioned to be like why aren't they using tampons or why aren't they using pads Mm -hmm. and like i feel like people just recently started using menstrual cups or like to my knowledge at least and i feel like a lot of people were really uncomfortable with the idea Mm -hmm. of menstrual cups and to think that people would be even more uncomfortable with the way that someone else is doing something because they don't have access is um startling to me a little bit but i really appreciate the sentiment to really just check your privilege when you are thinking about menstruators and i really love that you said that because that's something that I, I don't even think about very often. So it's something I'm definitely going to like remember to bring to my mind when just thinking about advocating for somebody with a menstrual cycle. I'm actually in the process of kind of publishing a piece in the rag about this as well. But I think what we don't also talk about are sometimes these like NGOs or like different like affiliated organizations will go to these countries in the global south and like give them pads and tampons, but then not think about how like this waste is going to add to like the daily life 
life in exactly. that part of the world. And so um, one of the contributors to the RAG, I think it'll come out on International Women's Day, talks yeah. about this in the context of India and how, you know, there's like a, you know, a large population that is experiencing period poverty. But what does it mean to fix period poverty with product distribution that can sometimes lead to excess waste? And then who are the, who are the victims of these like environmental, like to these like environmental effects of this waste? It's the right. same menstruators, right? That are experiencing period poverty. I cannot wait to read that because I feel like I'm going, it's just so much enlightenment for me at least just because I feel like talking about periods and then like that you don't really even think about the waste that like menstrual products create until, you know, you're tossing your pad packaging, you know, the box to your pads and you're like, oh dang, like that's kind of a lot. And so to even think just, you know, you want to get out those menstrual products to people who don't have them and then just thinking about the after effects of that makes me a little anxious, but um, <laughs> I definitely think it's something that I need to be educated more on because that's that's really important. Nikki, do you mind telling us about the tampon tax? And in brief, you want to weigh in on it, go right ahead. Yeah, no, I, I love that topic, Brie. And I did want to add to just the, oh, go, the no, topic go of, of privilege, if that's okay, because go right ahead. not even just from the Western standpoint to the rest of the world, but even just within the United States, I get this a lot, especially from people who are, you know, doing the whole sustainable, very green, earthy, earthy. I get it. I use a menstrual product. A lot of times they forget the market that we are serving. Many of the menstruators we serve do not have running water. They are, might be homeless. Mm-hmm. They do not have access to what you need to maintain a menstrual cup or reusable underwear or reusable liners. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot tell you how many people have DM'd us or asked, oh, why are you guys not giving out reusable cup? There is a learning curve. A lot of our market also are women who come from domestic violence. They do not want insertion items. You know, just to add to that, you know, the same thing. You know, when you are a supplier or somebody giving supplies, you know, please keep in mind the market that we're serving. Um, if we're doing college students or something like that, sure, menstrual cups can work. We could do something with that. But when you're working with, you know, menstruators who are in and out of shelters and unstable, those products are just useless to them. They need the disposables. They're not trying to dirty the environment. That's just what that's all that they can use. Exactly. Um, so I just think it's really important to be very mindful of that. And also to what we said about bringing in products from other countries and the waste that it creates, you know, that's such a huge problem. It puts such burden on those countries and it also hurts their local economy yeah. because now they're getting these free things. A lot of those people will wait for the free things instead of going to a local person. They'll just wait. You know, this happened with Tom's. I don't know if you you know know the Tom's. Yes. Same yes. Thing. Now they like create jobs, right? <laughs> By putting their factories in the countries where they're serving. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. But yeah, I, I, I love that you said that, Brie, and I also cannot wait to read that. I am going to. Um, so your question was about the tampon tax, right? Um, so yeah, the tampon tax is exactly what it sounds like. It is a tax on menstrual hygiene products. It is not the same as a pink tax. I think people tend to get that confused. Mm-hmm. Um, a pink tax is just exactly what it sounds like, a pink tax. Items that are pink, it can be razors, you know, anything like that, any beauty items um, that's are taxed higher than products that are blue or gray or just men's products in general that are not taxed. Um, but the tampon tax is specific to menstrual products. I have to check again how many, I, maybe you know, Brie, how many states eliminated it now? It's getting higher. 23 states have exempted menstrual products from taxation, while the remaining 27 states continue to tax them as luxury items. The tampon tax and the pink tax, I think, have been like great displays of like youth activism. I think that young people have really been able to come together and organize over this 
this topic, you can see the community and like the, the way that community can allow like systemic change. The only thing I have to add to what Nikki said was just like a way that young people and like menstrual activists have really like created policy when there was like literally none and have really been able to like push change in the ways that they can. Brie, I have a question for you. I When we did our little initial call, you told us or told me about um, what you're studying for your PhD. Do you mind telling me a little bit more about that? Because I was very interested. Yeah. So I'm only in my first year. So these this is definitely um, suspect to change. But right now I am looking at, broadly, I'm looking at Black ecofeminism and reproductive justice and the ways that they intertwine. So it's more specifically, I think that there's a lot of similarities in the way that like systemically Black people have been detached from land and similar ways that Black women have been detached from their own bodies. When communities are detached from their land, they are sadly like more ignorant to like what happens to that land and how that impacts them, right? And so it's like, if I'm not understanding, you know, if I if I'm not connected to the land that I'm on, I'm not recognizing, oh, this water tastes different. Maybe it's because all of the fertilizer from the plant is leaking into my water source, right? Or if I'm, it's similar to Black women in reproductive health, right? It's like, if I don't have an understanding of my own body, right? How am I expected to go into these like healthcare sites, advocate for myself when it's so easy for this medical professional to gaslight me and tell me that what I'm experiencing is not real. What I'm experiencing is in my head. What I'm experiencing is a product of my own making. It's because I'm too fat or because I'm not eating well enough, or it's because I'm, you know, like my lifestyle choices are not matching what they perceive as like the pinnacle of health. And so my research, I'm interested in disseminating Black ecofeminist ethic Mm -hmm. um, that really promotes ways for Black people to engage with land, but also engage with their body. Um, And one of the ways that I want to do this, this is once again, like very ambitious, but is kind of talk about like Black women and menstrual cup usage. And um, I think that for me specifically, menstrual cup, my menstrual cup was forced me to have an intimate understanding of my body because as Nikki said, there's a learning curve. Like you Mm -hmm. have to know like, okay, how am I going to get my muscles to relax so that I can insert this into my body? When is my cup full? Yes. I'm going to have to know like, you know, I'm going to have to know a lot of different things with my body. And I'm also going to have to be comfortable enough to see my own blood. Right. And so I think that for me, my menstrual cup allowed me to have this really intimate relationship with my body and I learned to trust it. I believe that for me, it was a way that kind of became an advocate for my body and now I feel more comfortable going into these going into doctor's offices and advocating for my body because I now feel like I have a better understanding of how it works and so my project looks at like black menstrual cup usage mm-hmm. how it can kind of like intersect these like the systemic disembodiment of black women mm-hmm. and how menstrual cups can be you know it's not the end all be all right because like medical racism yeah. is real but that black women can use their own autonomy in ways to become better advocates for themselves in these like harmful and violent institutions I think okay. any type of logical sense that's kind of what I went <laughs> on for my PhD dissertation slash master's project I wanted you to talk about it because I just feel like personally I've never heard anyone deciding to study this and to really like make this their priority so I'm very excited to see what you do I want to read some of your work and just learn more about it alongside you and Nikki do you have anything to like say in regards to that I think just kind of piggybacking on, on what we said 
said, it's so clear how we're just so detached from our bodies and we just don't know enough about it. I'm Jamaican. Um, I'm very fortunate. My grandmother was a feminine health teacher. It was very Christian based, but and this happens in the Caribbean too, but I do find that more commonly, you know, for my African American clients, it mm-hmm. seems to be stronger, that barrier. And they seem to really ha- be uncomfortable talking to their doctor. Their doctor is a superior person. And who am I? And I always tell them it is your body. And that's something right. I feel like is black people, we just are really bad at doing. We just don't talk to each other about this stuff. Same with yeah. fibro- fibroids, all of that stuff. You know what I mean? We just don't do it and we have to fix that. We got we to gotta change that. So Brie, I love this and I cannot wait to see what you do with it. And if- we did. We do not talk about our pain. We do not talk about what we're experiencing and how that can like in turn, other people can experience the same things. And for me, my entire, all the women in my family, um, they all had hysterectomies, found out they had endometriosis. And, you know, I'm dealing with endometriosis and PCOS and it just, it would have been great to know they were experiencing the same pain that I was for all this time. It just, it really sucked. We can go through all this pain and it still be like mismanaged and like misdiagnosed and unrepresented and unaccounted for in medical industry. I think also like black women are just, I mean, from like the time of slavery, we're just seen as these, like we have no threshold for pain that we can just experience it all. And I think that we've also like internalized that in some ways as like, you know, we try to be like strong black. It took me a really long time. It honestly took me working with Maria to realize like, oh, it's not normal that like sometimes my period makes me cry or it's not normal for like, you know, my cousin to be vomiting every time she gets her period, right? How do these, the way our communities talk about pain, like how is that further leading us? How is that leading us away from like getting the help that we really need, right? If we're just told like, oh, that's normal. Your mom's experienced that, your mom's mom's experienced that. And just because there's this like generational experience of pain, that doesn't mean that it has to be there, right? Like just because you've been there before doesn't mean that it has to continue to be there. And a lot of times the way that Black folks talk about pain is like, it's a trauma response, right? It's like, we've just gotten so used to it being there that we don't even like think about the ways that we couldn't eliminate it. And so I just, yeah, like talking about pain is just as important as about talking about like shame and all of these other things. Like we have to talk about the things that really, you know, like hurt us because if we're not comfortable like sharing our own pain, then sadly, like health institutions, they're going to see that and they're going to manipulate that and they're going to be able to gaslight us even more. I'm sure Nikki, you've experienced this with clients who like doctors just simply have not believed their pain, even though they're probably- I agree with that 100% because- I've definitely not been able to advocate for myself in many medical situations where things like definitely went way, 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 way on my malpractice to really like start to learn my pain signals and body literacy is something that's just, I got to work on it. I'm not going to lie. And I feel like there are a lot of people out there in Black, Indigenous and people of color, like in our communities, we definitely need to learn body literacy and we definitely need to learn how to advocate for ourselves in medical situations because we should not be going through the things that we go through. What is each of your go-to period remedies so like nikki brianna whichever one wants to go first what is like your go-to period remedy man okay i have i have a few it really just depends I mean, I manage my period really well. I, my period kind of just comes and goes. Um, okay. That's due to vaginal steaming. I'll just give it to that. Um, <laughs> and magnesium, which is my magical supplement for periods. 100%. I agree. Um, and then my last recommendation, honestly, CBD. CBD is great for periods. Really is. I agree. Um, yeah. So I would go with the, I would go with those. And then just leafy greens. Eat some spinach. You'd be surprised how that gets rid of a headache or some cramps really quick. Right. Wow. Uh, I need someone to tell me about this magnesium. I- <laughs> I've never 
never heard of this. For me, I'm on, um, I have a NuvaRing, so which means that like I take it out once a month to have mm-hmm. me for a week. Um, but in doing so, it's made my period much shorter and much more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my period only lasts about four days. Lucky. Yeah, where before it would last like a week and a half. So I use a menstrual cup, which mm-hmm. for me, like I've said, like it's been like, it's made all the difference for me. Like um, I also use the Diva cup. I think people like, I don't know if people like when they use menstrual cups, they're like, oh, I don't like this. Try another one. Yeah. Um, it can really like, it can really make a difference. So yeah, my menstrual cup, I also use like a CBD, like topical treatment for when I have cramps. Also a hot water bottle. Yes. Um, love those like recognize that sometimes people can't just put cbd on top of their stomach like mm-hmm. if you need might all take your might all right but, you know just try your best <laughs> I agree. No, there isn't. Like, I've done it all. Like, I came from a point where, like, I I would take, like, this is not recommended. I am not a doctor and you should definitely not do this. Um, I would take maybe, like, six Aleve a day. Just That's just, that was just how bad my pain was. I see you shaking your head at me. (laughs) That's just how bad my pain was as a teenager. And then I moved on. I never took pain medicine again and was taking raspberry leaf tea. And then that, it just stopped working. And so now I'm on, like, I'm in the middle. Like, I do a little bit of both. And I think everybody should feel comfortable with doing both doing what's right for you because nobody else is feeling the pain but you but those are the tips that i would say it's more about things that you want to avoid where can my listeners find out a little bit more about period and about your services nikki and what about you brie you can find period blog the rag on medium uh the rag by period and then you can find me all my every social media is reredic b-r-i-r-e-d-b-i-c-k i also have my own personal website reredic.com where i talk about um the intersection of social justice and administration. Um, yes, like we said, at Period Movement on Instagram. Um, my company is called Work It Moms, Work It with an E, uh, and that is on Instagram as well at Work It Moms. The website is workitmoms.com. Um, and yeah, that's where you can get information about my reproductive health doula services and learn more about period awesome thank you guys so much for joining me today and taking the time to just have a real open conversations about periods and menstruation and men's information that is often really really prevalent in this community so i really appreciate you guys taking the time today of course thanks for having us thank yeah, you just- and thank you thank you both it was awesome, awesome.